Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Would you take a moment now, bow your heads, and join with me as we go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning with gratitude for our time together in fellowship and in worship. We praise you for opportunities we have to get together in a place like this and lift one name and one voice for you and you alone, God. We pray right now we uh, would ask for your hand of guidance in the face of uh, many difficulties, trials, and health needs that our GCC family has right now. We have a number of people who had surgery last week, having surgery this coming week, procedures and um, events that are uh, taxing and difficult. We just pray for your hand of blessing over the doctors as they care for each of them. Father, also we've seen many losses and people are grieving right now and we just pray for the families here at GCC that they would understand your presence and your peace in these moments. We pray for their health and safety as well. But specifically, God, right now, we wanna pray for one of our missionaries, Rachel Kummer, as she serves in Clarkston. Lord, I just pray that you would give her the strength to enter into hurts and hardships with the people that she's ministering to. There are things that people living in Clarkston experience that we don't experience here. Pain of having to leave family, fleeing war and persecution, experiencing deep poverty and hopelessness. Lord, I pray for the presence of believers in the community with Rachel, that they would be a source of comfort and peace and healing as they bring the spirit of Christ into the homes of those they're ministering to. And as Rachel continues to train others and bring them alongside of her, I just pray for uh, supernatural protection over her and them as they minister to many people right now. God, as we continue in our worship right now, as we pray, as we read scripture, as we hear the truth brought by Pastor Mike, I pray that you would give him the clarity from your Holy Spirit of what to communicate, how to communicate, and I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to your truth, that we would be motivated to action in the name of Jesus Christ and the name of Jesus Christ alone. And we pray these things together in the strong and powerful name. Amen. Thank you very much, Pastor David. As we worship here, you know that our children are learning the word of God and worshiping as well in our education wing and also over in the commons. And every week now for, I don't know, about four or five weeks, somebody from our church staff or our children's ministry team has been sharing their testimony with our children. And so I shared with you last week that four children had come to faith in Christ the week before in Sunday school. And I want to share with you this morning that four more children came to faith in Christ last Sunday in our Sunday school. And that's reason for celebration and praise to the Lord. We're just excited by the opportunity, excited by the opportunity to disciple our children in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, the scripture is going to be read all over the Bible, so there isn't one particular text. If you want one to hang out at later on in your own personal review and reflection, it would be Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. But we're going to be looking at a lot of different passages this morning as we study the next attribute in our study of God, learning to know him better. And so this morning, I want to begin with a question for you. What did your parents teach you about jealousy? 
What did they teach you about jealousy? My parents told me that jealousy is no way to be, and I quote my mother, no way to be. And sometimes she would follow up with, you should be happy with what you have and not want what other people have. Now, only later on in my life did I learn that jealousy, according to some people, is a green-eyed monster that will gobble you up. We didn't talk that way in New Danville. They did in Conestoga, but not in New Danville. So I didn't know that until I went out to Conestoga. The reality is jealousy. Jealousy really is something that will consume you if you allow it. It will harness your emotions and do great damage in your life. And so you can imagine my surprise when I first learned that our God is a jealous God. Our God is a jealous God. Now, I know that I had read that before. After all, I had read the Ten Commandments, and it's in there. But somehow it never landed in my mind, never affected me to realize that the one true, living, holy, and loving God is a jealous God. Now, certainly, God's jealousy can't fall in the category of my mother's no way to be. Certainly, it is not a green-eyed monster that will consume us and do great damage in our lives. That can't be God's jealousy, can it? And the answer is no, not at all. God's jealousy, like every other of his attributes, possesses one quality, and that is the quality of holiness. His jealousy is a holy jealousy. It is set apart from the jealousy of this world. And frankly, God's jealousy is actually a supreme expression of God's love. God's jealousy is a supreme expression of God's love. Got that? God's jealousy is a supreme expression of God's love. Say that with me. God's jealousy is a supreme expression of God's love. So this morning, I want us to study God's jealousy. We're going to do it with three different questions. And as we answer and unpack those questions, we're going to learn about the jealousy of God. So the very first question is simple. What is jealousy? What is it? Well, the common or unholy jealousy of this world is by definition an infantile resentment springing from unmortified covetousness, which expresses itself in envy, malice, and meanness of action. It feeds and is fed by pride. Now, as you look at that definition, some of you might say, I don't even understand some of those words, and frankly, I had to look them up too. But I know one thing, I don't want to be that. How about you? I don't want to be that. Whether I understand all of it or not, it doesn't sound good because it isn't good. See, unholy jealousy is actually an act of the sinful nature, Galatians chapter 5. It's a vice. It is attached to all kinds of spite, envy, malice, none of which any of us want to be. Wise Solomon actually says of jealousy in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 4, anger is cruel and wrath is like a flood, but jealousy is even more dangerous. So what is jealousy? Well, that's unholy jealousy. Is there another type of jealousy? Yes, there is. And that is holy jealousy. It is the jealousy of God. 
And so turning back to J.I. Packer, theologian J.I. Packer, for another definition, this is what holy jealousy is. It is praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious. That's a whole lot easier to remember and understand. It is praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious. Holy jealousy, the jealousy of God, is not a vice, it is a virtue. It contains no spite, it contains no envy, it contains no malice whatsoever. To say that God is jealous is to say, first of all, that God cares for us. And not only does he care for us, he cares deeply for us. He cares deeply about us. He is not indifferent to who you are and where your life is headed. He is zealous to protect the love relationship that he has with you. He wants our absolute love and loyalty. Now, as I said, the jealousy of God, its fingerprints are all over the Bible. And really, it would take us the rest of this worship service to read all those passages. So I've selected five of them, just so that we all understand that jealousy is a real attribute that God wants us to understand about him. And so let's look at a sampling of what the scripture teaches, beginning at Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, where the word of God says, do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Friends, when you read that the Lord's name is jealous, you ought to sit up and take notice, because that means that his very character, his nature, is that of holy jealousy. His name is jealous. Moving on to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, the word of God says, do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. The prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2, verse 18 writes, then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. Speaking of the people of God, the people whom he loves, in the prophet Zechariah chapter 8, verse 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. And then the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 22, asks this question, are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? You know, that's a very good question. What exactly does it mean to arouse God's jealousy? How do we arouse his jealousy? is the next question that we should unpack this morning. Now that we understand what jealousy is, both the unholy and the holy, what is it that arouses God's holy jealousy? The psalmist Asaph answers that question simply and profoundly. He's writing in Psalm 78 about Israel's rebellion against God. And as he writes about Israel's rebellion, the people of God rebelling against God, sinning against God, in Psalm 78, verse 58, this is what Asaph says, they angered him with their high places and they aroused his jealousy with their idols. They aroused his jealousy with their idols. They aroused his jealousy with their idols. Say that with me. They aroused his jealousy with their idols. It's an interesting phrase. The second of the Ten Commandments says this, you shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or in the waters below. 
you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God is zealous to preserve something supremely precious to him. He is zealous to preserve something supremely precious to him. Do you know what that is? You. You. He is supremely zealous to preserve something supremely precious to him. And that is you. You, Ron and Dottie. You, Drew and Bethany. It is you, Kyle and Wendy. It is you, Tim and Jane. He is zealous to preserve a love relationship with you because you are precious to him. Our idols arouse God's jealousy. Now, to North American ears, the word idol or idolatry conjures up images of statues that are made of wood, stone, or metal to which people go to worship and bow down and say prayers. And so to our North American ears and to our North American minds, maybe we don't have idols. That's for other world religions in other places. When I was visiting our missionaries over in Chiang Mai, Thailand, they asked me if I'd like to see the area, and sure, I'd like to see the area. So they took me to a Buddhist temple, and we walked up 102 steps, I counted them. And along the way, along the way, there were three, four, and five-year-old children perched by their parents early in the morning with a lunch, selling little Buddhas. You could buy them on the way up, so that when you got to the top and walked into the massive temple, there was a larger-than-life Buddha made of precious metals. And people were praying to that idol. And so when we think of idols, we think of the far-off religion that has a wood, stone, or metal idol. But you know, an idol isn't just that. An idol is really anything or anyone who takes the rightful place of God in our lives. That's what an idol is. The New City Catechism defines it best, I believe. Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, our significance, and our security. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I had this conversation briefly yesterday with someone. Every one of us are natural-born idolaters. Do you ever think about that? We really are. See, every one of us is born with a sinful nature. Every one of us is born with a hole in our heart. And that hole can only be rightfully filled by God. But too often, we don't fill that hole with God. We search after something else to fill that hole. We are natural-born idolaters. 
And so we look for something else in life that will give us hope and happiness, significance and security. And we go after whatever it is that we identify that we're sure will do that for us. So instead of looking to God, we look around us and we find that something in life that will meet those four needs in our lives. And it isn't always something that we find. Sometimes it's actually someone who becomes our idol. So our idols can be, for example, our profession. It can be our possessions. It can be some sport that we play, some hobby that we love to invest in. It can be our money. It can be our investments. It can be some pleasure that we have in life, maybe a second house that consumes us. It can even be our family. It really can. If you were with us last year when we were unpacking the hard sayings of Jesus, we preached actually two messages in which Jesus himself said that if you're not careful, your family can become your idol. <laughs> and, and you know, in Lancaster County, where family is everything, that's a hard one to hear. But friends, I want to tell you something. That's not true. Family isn't everything. God is everything. And when you grab a hold of that truth and you can trust God, then he will give you the family that you love so dearly in the right measure and the right way in your life. But you need to trust him first. And you need to trust him foremost in your life. The problem is that people look other places for happiness and for hope for significance and for security. And when they find those other things, you know what they do? They ascribe worth to them. They worship them. That's what worship is. At its basic level, worship is to ascribe worth. And so we call this worship at 915 here at Grace Community Church. You know what you're doing when you come here? You are coming here to ascribe worth to the one true living and loving God of the universe. And you do it a number of different ways. We, we sing and we pray and we listen to the word of God being read and we listen to a message and we respond to that message from our hearts in obedience. And all of that, we are ascribing worth. And, and, and as a result of that, we give our time and our energy and our resources to the one who we believe is worthy of it all. The problem is that in idolatry, the one who is worthy of it all isn't always God. Well, it isn't God. It's something or someone else. And so we give that something or someone else that which is rightfully only God's. I want to introduce a new phrase to you. Maybe it's new. Maybe it's not new. Functional atheism. Did you ever hear of functional atheism? So functional atheism is someone who believes that there's a God, believes in God, believes that the Bible is the word of God, maybe even goes so far as to say, I believe in a heaven, I believe in a hell. But the way they live shows that they are not at all believing that God is truly God. They say it. They confess it, they tell you, oh yeah, I believe in God. But when you look at how they function in life, there's no indication that God has any role 
any place, any position in their lives. He's not on the throne. He's not even close to the throne. He just isn't there. You know, the funny thing about idols, God is painfully aware when we have an idol in our lives. You don't get away with that. It's not like God is like, oh my goodness, I I didn't realize. God knows. Breaks his heart. Breaks his heart when, when he sees us elevate anything or anyone other than him to fill that God-sized hole in our hearts. Now, here's the other interesting thing about idols. They are not necessarily all bad or sinful. I mean, the things that I just named as idols, possessions and professions and your investments and and your family and, and a sport that you play or a hobby that you have or a leisure activity that you love or a second house that you have, those are not sinful things. Those are not bad things. In fact, God gives us many of those things to enjoy in life. The problem is when we get things out of perspective, when we actually forget God and we make those things the idols of our lives, they take the place he should have. They become first in our lives. And when they do, When they do, God's jealousy is aroused. Remember, God's jealousy is God's praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious. God cares for us. He is not indifferent to what we do and how we live. He is jealous to protect the love relationship that he has for us He wants our complete love and loyalty. He doesn't want to share you with anyone else. Now, that's not hard to understand. It shouldn't be. My goodness, back in the fall, we learned that the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom. He doesn't want to share his bride with another. Is that hard to understand? I don't want to share Jenny with anyone else. Jenny doesn't want to share me with anyone else. We love each other, and we are jealous and a holy jealousy for preserving that love relationship. I love her dearly. She loves me dearly. Is it hard to understand that that's the relationship that God has with us? He loves us, and he doesn't want to share us With anyone or anything else, he commands our full love and loyalty. And and when we don't give that to him, when there's an idol that we've allowed into our lives, it arouses his jealousy. Now, that leads to a third and final question, a practical question. And I know you probably are thinking, could it possibly be that at 9.54 we are on the last point of Mike's sermon? Is that even a possibility? And, And yes, it is. But you know that I come in for a landing, and when I take off again, I circle for a while. So if you need Dramamine, pop it now, because we're gonna circle for a while. Here's the third question. 
How should God's jealousy affect our lives? How should God's jealousy affect our lives? And I want to offer to you three ways in which the biblical truth that God is jealous for you should affect your life. Number one, we should ask God to examine our lives. Is there an idol in my life? Is my loyalty true-hearted, whole-hearted, faithful? Is God the king of my life? I don't know about you, I know about me. I can have blind spots to the areas of my life that need work. Anybody else like that? I, I can find those areas in other people. I'm not blind to that, but I have blind spots. I give myself more grace at times than I should. Anybody else here ever do that? And so it's good for me to ask the one who knows me better than I know myself, search me, O God. Because you have the 60,000 foot view, you have the 30,000 view, you have the one inch view. You know me better than anyone possibly knows me. My wife knows me well, but my Jesus knows me best of all. And so in response to the truth that God is a jealous God and he is jealous for my love and my attention, my loyalty, then I should ask him to examine my life. Is there anything here that is dividing my loyalty that is causing me to share the love that should be wholly yours. Here's a great prayer to pray. It's in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. No better prayer than the word of God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Point out anything in me that offends you. Man, that is a, that is putting it on the line. That is a risky prayer. You are giving God permission. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. It is the prayer of examine. And the first thing we should do in response to the jealousy of God is ask him to examine our lives. Secondly, once he examines our lives and he shows us those things that offend him, he shows us those areas where we have divided loyalty. He shows us those areas where we are sharing our love for him with others. Once that becomes apparent to us, then we need to repent of our unfaithfulness. I want to tell you how serious this matter is this morning. When you have divided loyalty, when you have idols in your life, that is spiritual adultery. You are being unfaithful to the God of the universe who created you, who sustains you, and who alone went to the cross to die for you, to rise again on the third day, to live today as the one and only Savior of the world. There is no one who loves you as much as he loves you. Amen? No one. 
And when you become aware that there's an area of your life of unfaithfulness to him, you need to repent of that area of your life. How do you repent? It begins with confession. You know what confession is? Confession is agreeing with God. And I've always found that it's best to agree with God. How about you? When God tells you, here's something that offends me, it is best not to argue with him and say, well, I don't know. No, no, no. If he says that, if he points out that which offends you, you agree with him. God, that is true. And I confess that to you. And then you repent as part of that. And repentance is when you are looking at your sin and you are calling it what it is and you are confessing it to the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ, and you then turn away from that sin and you turn in the direction of God and you say, God, as I confess my sin, I now turn to you and I recommit myself to loyalty and love to you and you turn to him and you throw yourself at the mercy of God who by the blood of Jesus Christ is able to forgive you and cleanse you of your sin. If we confess our sin, John writes in 1 John chapter 1, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What do we do with the fact that God is jealous? We ask him to examine our lives. Secondly, we repent of unfaithfulness. And here's the last point. We need to be zealous for God. We need to be zealous for God. Last week, we learned that because God loves us, we must love God. Applied to this week, because God is jealous for us, we must be zealous for God. Got that? Because God is jealous for us, we must be zealous for God. What does it mean to be zealous it means to have great energy and enthusiasm in our relationship with God. Now, some people misunderstand that and they, they, they misapply that. And, and, and so they try to work up a lot of enthusiasm within because they think that the more outward actions or show, the more people will think that you really love God. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about rolling down the aisles at church. We're not talking about being a holy roller, although there's nothing wrong with being a holy roller. But we're talking about the kind of depth of love for God, whereby literally a song, a word, a scripture brings you to tears, moves your heart. Oh my goodness, you sense the presence of God through his Holy Spirit. I don't know how many of you tuned into the Asbury Revival, but I did because I wanted to see it for myself. I wanted to participate in it short of driving down to Asbury College. And I had studied down there many years ago and, and I knew about the 1970 revival and I, I had read a few things about the criticisms of this one and I thought, yeah, I wanna see what, and, and it was not this, you know, wild, it was the presence of God in singing and in praying and in the confession of sin, and in, in people just standing to give praise and thanks, in the reading of God's word and the preaching of the same. And, and you know what happened when Fox News called and said, we wanna come and, and we, wanna, we wanna broadcast this? Asbury leadership called and said, please don't, no, you can't come. You cannot come. This has nothing to do with making a big show across the nation or the world. No, 
This is not politics. This is not publicity. And I'm sure that the development people at Asbury College were saying, oh, we could, yeah, I mean, we could really convert this into X number of students. I doubt if they were because they were already in the revival, so it didn't occur to them. When a major Christian singer called and said, I'll come and lead worship, you know what Asbury College said? The only celebrity here is Jesus. Thank you for calling. We appreciate your interest, but all focus is on Jesus Christ alone. What is zeal? It is when Jesus consumes you, when you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you were to watch Jenny and I worship, for me to raise my hands and worship, it's just, it's part of who I am, it's part of how I worship. My wife will raise her hands maybe this way, but it doesn't define that Mike has more zeal because he gets it up higher. And a higher hand, higher hand, you know, and when I put two up, oh my goodness, <laughs> we're rolling now. Huh? And poor Jenny's over there. She was born and raised Presbyterian. She goes, you know, <laughs> seriously, you know. Sometimes in the church, that's the kind of dumb stuff we talk about. That, nothing at all. She's a woman of God with a heart, passion for Jesus. It has nothing to do with the outward expression. It has everything to do with the inward depth of your love for Jesus Christ. 19th century Anglican bishop and writer J.C. Ryle defines zeal this way. A zealous person is a person of one thing. He only sees one thing, he cares for one thing, he lives for one thing, he is swallowed up in one thing, and that one thing is to please God. He burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and to advance God's glory. I've had to ask myself as I prepared this sermon, does my heart burn for God? Does your heart burn for God? Am I zealous for him because he is jealous for me? Are you zealous for him? Because guaranteed, he is jealous for you. Let me just put it in a very practical question. Why are you here today? Is it because we live in Lancaster County and the right thing to do in Lancaster County is to go to church on Sunday at your appointed time and your appointed place? Is it out of duty? 
or is it out of devotion? Because your heart burns for God. Because unless there's some sickness or you're away, you can't imagine going through a week without the opportunity to enter into his presence with brothers and sisters in Christ, to ascribe him worth, to feed on his word, to go deeper, ever deeper, because your heart burns to tell him what he means to you and how he has transformed your life. And not just on Sunday, but Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and you get up and you just don't feel right until you've spent time talking to him. I get up in the morning, I, I don't ignore Jenny, I talk with her. I wouldn't feel right if I didn't have a conversation and multiple conversations and find out what's happening in her day and find out what I should be doing in my day. Don't forget your lunch. Last week I had a medical appointment and I wasn't allowed to have caffeine. Everywhere there was chocolate in the house, there was a sign, do not eat. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. They were all over the place. Everywhere that I hide chocolate, she apparently knows about. <laughs> I love her. She loves me. Do you love him? Because he loves you with a zeal and a jealousy like no other. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you in the quiet of this room, if you're willing, right here, right now, to pray the prayer of examine. And just right here, right now, in the quiet of this room, in the quiet of your heart, if you're willing to ask God to search your heart, to point out anything that is offensive, any idol, anything that is taking his place, and to show it to you so you can confess it and repent before him. You don't need me to lead you in that prayer. You know what to do. Let's pray right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed, quiet across this place. And take time right now to pray and ask God to examine your heart.
would you root out every idol, remove every high place, so that our loyalty would not be divided. Our love for you would not be shared with another. We thank you that you are jealous for us. That your love is of such supreme expression that you'll share us with no one else and jealously guard the relationship that you have with us. There is none who is like you. Make us zealous for you, that our hearts would burn in our love for you. It's in your strong name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to remain seated. I want you to listen to this song before we close our time in worship. Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.